Hello, everyone. I am Nick. This is Chris. Welcome to Weekly Manga Recap. It is July the 3rd of 2019. Independence Eve. It's... We haven't truly earned our independence yet, Nick. No, it's... Not until um, tomorrow. America's not free yet. Mm-hmm. No. We have to wait until sunrise. Yes. And then... Then we can do whatever we want, Nick. It's the purge. That's I not might what be, that means. I might be thinking the game the two holidays crossed over, but I've already made plans, a lot of very aggressive ones for tomorrow, so I can't get okay. them at this point. I mean, the last time that uh, someone celebrated the purge on Independence Day, someone, uh, uh, I had to call the cops on some people. That's that's a true story. I'll tell it sometime. But. <laughs> I was gonna say I was like, didn't it, I think they did they do a purge on Independence Day or no? It's just because there's a lot just of just here in Florida. It's oh, cool. Okay. Well, you know, if there it's, it's the purge every day here in Florida. So its own kind of purge, yeah. Mm-hmm. Purge of old people and drug addicts to the America's dong state. Do you ever feel empowered being in America's dong? Uh, no, like, not is, really. Like, is there a machismo for being in the state shaped like a penis? No, mm. okay. I don't really think. I don't really think about it unless it's to make a joke about how shitty Florida is. Yeah, but then again, anywhere I were to live right now, I'd be like, oh, this place is shitty because I just, you know, I don't. Know. I don't place a lot of pride in the locations I live in. So I was, we were just talking about how joy is a very difficult thing to suss from you. Mm-hmm. So I, I have trouble finding your enthusiasm for a lot of things, particularly when it's something mon- as mundane as like being proud of a city you're from or something like that. That's kind of the thing is, like, see, I'm Chris, I'm probably the reason why we're not bigger than we actually are, because I can't I don't have it in me to, you know, gar- garner up that fake enthusiasm. You'll be like, come on, guys. All right. You know, smash that like button. You know, <laughs> it's your boy, Nick here with Nikki D or whatever the fuck. Uh here to bring you a new video on this oh this thing that I cover twenty times a day, but this one still got me super enthusiastic. Oh yeah, fist bump through the screen. And I'm, just, I, I, I'm not that kind of person, so I, I, I'm sorry, Chris. I'm to blame for us not uh, getting them likes and subscribes. Well, you know what? We're in this together. We take we if one of us falters, we both take the fall. That's that's oh. the kind of relationship we're in. Uh, so, guys, smash that like button. Make sure you subscribe. Okay. Leave a comment down below. Uh, I don't. What else do YouTubers say? I assume some of them just, you know, I mean, a lot of them are Nazis. So Support I guess, us. I guess there's that. Send me money on PayPal. Uh, oh yeah, I got lewds on uh, uh, on Snapchat. Send nudes. <laughs> yeah, I, I, you know, you can get some of those. Um. Oh, we do ASMR, so I'm like, make sure you hit that subscribe button. Well, Chris, we do ASMR every day, though. Yeah, to ourselves, basically. Yeah, this is a, that's the entire purpose of Week of My Greek episode, that we can hear each other's sensuous voices. Mm-hmm. And, you know, ultimately, when you when you talk about ASMR, it's it's pretty convenient. You know, there's a really good connecting tissue to that in the manga we're going to be discussing this week. Nick, what is that reason? I don't know. <laughs> no, I just wanted to throw a segue to you. I was like, possibly have an answer to. <laughs> I was like, are we, are we, are we talking about a silent voice again? <laughs> <laughs> no, we're gonna be talking about manga. Let's just get right into it, Nick. Let's start talking about My Hero Academia. 
Well, there's no higher academia this week, Let's Chris. Let's start talking about Food Wars then, Nick. Food Wars already ended, Chris, and we don't have one of the epilogue chapters this week. So What are we uh, going to do? So, Chris, uh, I hate to put you uh, in the spotlight all of a sudden, but you're on the hot seat, man. You've got to begin by talking about Eden Zero. <laughs> I don't, this is uncomfortable. I'm not a fan of this. Normally, whatsoever. I ease this into it before we take we have you take it up. But uh, no, sorry, man. You got to get the ball rolling. All right. Uh, we're going to talk about uh, chapter 41. Sorry, 51. Fuck. Oh, no, no, no. It's okay, Chris. Next. It's okay. <laughs> Uh, this is going to be chapter 51 of Eden Zero, Stones. And uh, Happy's hugging a fish on the cover of the chapter. He's very happy. Good for him. This Rebecca's is... not comfortable in that bed. That yeah. bed, the, the springs are broken, Chris. The bed is collapsing. He's yeah. got, not going to have any support. You know, and it's a shame because she seems really comfortable. Like, she she got dressed up to lay on her bed. Yeah, in her leather boots? Her Presumably leather boots and uh, a dress so skin tight you can make out her navel within it. Mm-hmm. So you know that's usually the bed con. Like that's usually what I wear to bed too. So see, that's the thing is that uh, you're meant to think that it's a seductive pose that she's uh, making because you know she's making the bedroom eyes and she's got her arms overhead. Really, what's happening is that she's uh, struggling to stay fully cognizant because she can't breathe. And so she's lifting her arms above her head in order to uh, open up her ribs and breathe better. So this is actually a cry for help. Yes. It's actually a tragic scene and happy. So high, so high on the cocaine that is holding the fish that he can't even recognize that his friend's life is in peril. His best friend is in danger. This is what fish are doing to him. And this guy wants a bunch of fish for his wish from the queen of the universe or whatever she is. This is truly one of the greatest uh, American tragedies we're seeing in this first panel here, even though it's from Japan. All right. So let's talk about Sun Jewel. That's the name. I was trying to remember the name of the planet. Sun Jewel, I believe, is the name of it. Uh, the mm. heroes arrived here before because Hamora's looking for Valkyrie and they went to a casino and it was being robbed at the time. So Shiki and Hamora fought back and then a giant beam from heaven blew up all the, va- the bad guys and just left a giant crimson spot on the ground where they stood. And we found out that it's all about this person called Madame Koronai who renders judgment from above, basically. Yep. Uh, so our chapter opens up as these two uh, seraphim kind of looking angel armor. They're robots. Dudes. They're robots. They they look like tiny bird people. I don't know exactly what they are, but they, they show up and they're like, fear not, everybody. We are here to punish evil and defend the innocent. And they're like, oh, cool. You guys are the good guys. Uh, but they're like, and we must render judgment on the two of you, you criminals, referring to Shiki and Hamora, who are like, hey, what, what, what do you mean? All we did was, you know, fight back when two people tried to, when a bunch of people tried to rob all of us. And they're like, yeah, well, regardless of whatever reason it is that you do something, violence is always a crime. Ergo, you are being sentenced. Ain't no stand your ground law in this state. Mm-mm. So two giant beams of light shine out. And both of them, one of them hit each of them. And it follows them no matter where they go. They can't run away from all of it. And they are, quote, sentenced to 100,000 metals. And then everyone's that horrified. That sounds like a great punishment. Yeah, you get to listen <laughs> to <laughs> 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 
Uh, everyone's very sad because they think that the two of them have been uh, eviscerated, but then the, the robot bird people are like, nope, they've been sent away to the labor district as subcrinals. And if they can mine 100,000 metals of our planet's natural ore, then they may return to our region. So they've been sent away. And I guess that's why uh, Rebecca didn't do anything. It's really hard to not call her Lucy in certain panels because when her hair's cropped the right way, right. you really can't tell that it's not Lucy that you're staring at. Uh, but I guess that's why Rebecca didn't do anything. Uh, more so I don't think she I, knew. Well, no, I, I know. I don't think she knew, but I mean, from a narrative point, oh, gotcha. they wanted one person to not be uh, sent over to the labor district. So presumably, I guess that's why she didn't decide to fight back in any way, shape or form. Or she's just worthless. Who knows? I mean, <laughs> could be one or the other. Uh, Shiki and Hamora wake up a little bit later. They've been transported somewhere else, and they have a collar around their necks now. Uh, and it I know it's going to take away their mutant powers. Because mm-hmm, that's all you need. You just need one little uh, collar or sometimes a shot, and you can take away everybody's mutant powers uh, completely. Mm-hmm. And uh, Nick, did you see the newest X-Men movie? No. I'm worried to see it because I've I've listened to people whose opinion I trust say that they're like, I would rather watch X-Men The Last Stand again before I watched the new X-Men again. And I was like, I can't even fathom that. They're like, it's just so boring and not good. (laughs) I'm like, but I I saw X-Men The Last Stand. That was really bad, too. So out of like you're you're like I don't know if I trust that it is that bad. <laughs> I'm almost I'm almost scared to watch. I'm like, how bad is the new X Men movie? They're like, it's not as it's not as bad as Last Stand. It's just nowhere near as entertaining. You won't even get a reaction out of it. You know, right, right. And I'm like, ah. Oh. Uh, so they have these collars around their neck. They see a thousand on it, and then there's a cave in front of them, and suddenly a bunch of bugs come crawling out with little uh. Basically, they look like almost rubies from Legend of Zelda, like have rubies growing out of their back. And there's a whole bunch of bugs. And I forget if this was ever established somewhere else. Maybe it was, but I guess Shiki has. I don't recall it being a natural fear of bugs. He just faints. Shiki just faints outright. Uh, Hamora tries to fight against a whole bunch of them. She succeeds. Uh, She actually cuts one of their gems off and she doesn't seem to notice it, but the, the collar on her neck like ticks down mm-hmm. one in response. So that's what they mean when they say minor wars. Uh, but there's too many of them, as we see from a shot positioned right beneath uh, Hamora's legs from behind. So we see directly underneath her crotch, which is always, it's a very strong artistic choice from hero. I appreciate that. Right. Uh, but then a bunch of the guys come in. It's uh, a Lucha guy, a guy with a stupid hat and, I think I think no the guy with the stupid hat and then Scott Dawson from WWE's The Revival right right mutton chops yeah Uh, well he has the full mutton chops to mustache combo and that's the key thing that's that's really a style that needs to come back Um, they all have this weird gimmick where they say one plus two makes a million power and they kill a bunch of bugs Uh, the last guy says he doesn't understand why they say that but he does anyway. And they basically they explain everything that's going on to Hamora and Shiki that they're here. They're sub criminals. They have to hunt these bugs. The ones that they saw there were the smallest kind. And it's actually super ineffective to try to, like, mine all the metal from them. Uh, So they got to go hunt the bigger ones and the stronger ones. And there's some that are even, quote, 
kaiju beast size. So it's kind of dangerous. I guess there's going to be some really big ones there. That's I'm the, sure that I'm sure that Chiki will punch it and everything will be fine. I don't know, Nick. They said kaiju beast size. That's really big. Yeah. You know, well, I, I, I can't imagine why Shiki's not being allowed to fight any of the weak ones. It's like you'll have to do all 100,000 in one burst or something. Nick, are you insinuating they would create a task as impossibly large as getting a full 100,000 medal in a single go and then just having the character effortlessly do it in one chapter? I mean, I'm saying that Eden Zero would do that with Shiki. Mm. All right. Well, we'll, we'll see. Uh, and you're right. I'm sure. So <laughs> they walk by and uh, just take all the tension out of it. Yeah, yeah, probably right. <laughs> that, yeah, that exactly is, as as uh, Jack Quick uh, says. It would be like defeating a hundred monsters at once. Um, I will fight all of the monsters in the tower. <laughs> Cool Let's just cut away and come back when I've done it. <laughs> I did it. <laughs> it was hard. <laughs> uh, so we then cut over to some guy kicking a dude and being like, you need to pick up your, your pace. You know, basically an Amazon worker. Uh, he just like starts <laughs> kicking him. He's like, hey, man, you haven't been meeting your quotas. What's going on? Pissing this bottle. Nobody got time for those bathroom breaks. Uh, and Shiki uh, because this guy is not a bug, does not faint, and instead... Hey, that guy's my friend, I've just decided. Yeah, this guy's my friend. Uh, specifically, this guy who's uh, beating him up is the warden who works directly underneath Madame Coronai, whose name is... <coughs> Benzaiten Garot, the Scourge of Heaven. Benzai, what are you doing here? Yeah. Oh, it's me, guy. Oh, shit, that has to be his voice. Uh, it's me, guys. I'm just kicking this schmuck over I'm here. I'm the scourge of heaven. <laughs> <laughs> I'm wearing my mankind mask. <laughs> uh, so, Gajil is like, hey, who the hell are you? And they're like, hey, we're going to not let you beat up this guy. That's where the chapter ends, as we watched the spy owl from the last chapter, watched this scene as well. It's an odd chapter, honestly. It's, it's a, oddly paced and yeah. ends on an odd point. It ends on an odd point. Uh, we don't actually, I think, do we actually even learn the name of the three new characters that show up? I don't think so. So Scott Dawson, Kaniku Man, and... Um, Oh, what's the name of the kid with the stupid hat and world trigger? Tai Chi? Yeah. Yeah, Tai Chi. Call that. So, His hat's really stupid. He's got a gun that looks about the right uh, kind of... Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, it's sort of an odd chapter like that. The ending's a bit strange. Like, I could see why we're getting introduced to this kind of character, because this is just the kind of series. Like, Hero just likes to write these sorts of characters to be the antagonist for the hero mm -hmm. in the face. So... We shall see. Not a bad chapter, just not kind of a drop down from last week where things were a lot more better paced. Mm -hmm. Oh, all right. Nick, you, you take over. I can't do the start of the start of the episode shit anymore. That's... <laughs> <laughs> all right. Man. OK, well, you catch your breath. Then we are going to uh, head over to let's see, what is it? What is the first freaking one that I have to do here? Hang on a second. Go with what your heart tells you. What my heart tells me to. Mm hmm. Well, my heart tells me that we've got to take a look at the uh, newer series at this point. Uh -huh. um, 
there was a chapter of Beast Children. Again, they they explained the rules of rugby, Chris. Oh. Yeah, they explained how you score a goal or a touchdown or whatever it's called. Uh, you uh, you kick the Dusselhausel in, right? Yeah, it's exactly. You put the quaffle through the hoop. Yeah. Yep. And then you badminton it all the way around the the ring. Mm-hmm. And uh, then you get a headshot. Yep. Yeah, right. uh, you've scored one Wazzlehoozle then. Uh, and uh, yeah, so our our hero is happy to play a rugby and to, to do a tackle. It's very satisfying, you know, like when I twenty one did this, and was better. <laughs> and, and that's kind of like a great criticism <laughs> to level against the series like yeah, I show 21 was better <laughs> I don't want to keep saying it but man I it was you like, know fuck. like it's it's hard not to read this series that's like hey we're gonna take a sport that's also very alien to a lot of especially to like Japan mm-hmm. and like the sports popular Japan and portray it and sport very similar to American football that uh, the main character is also a extremely short character whose strength is in his legs and, you know, plays sort of like a running look, position. Look, he's a dash that was really fast. Yeah, and you're like, I, I mean, come on, guys. You had to have seen this, right? <laughs> Someone had to have been like, you, you've read Ice Shield, right? It was super popular for this series. The guy who wrote it's still in the magazine. <laughs> Not that, you know, Senna is anything like the protagonist in this, like, no, in like personality. Pers- yeah. yeah, but like... In terms of like the flavor of the character, it, they're they're very spot on. So it's hard not to make the comparisons, and um, they you'll notice that despite the fact that they introduced an entire team of characters three chapters ago, we have not met a single one of them that isn't the team captain at this yeah, point. Like, got to know any of them. None of them have a personality or really much of a name to themselves yet. We met the manager though. I mean, that's nice. Yeah, we know the manager now. Good for her. I'm sure she'll be a very important character in this series. All right, let's move on to Samurai 8. Chapter 8. Meet meet your fate. Go on a date. Oh, everything rhymed this week? Hey, that chapter name's wrong. I'm looking at it now. We can't wait. We have to take it slowly. Actually, you made it all. That, that was a sonnet you just wrote there. Nick, you could be the next Mike Posner. Uh, no. Nick, if Let I offer you. Let me count the reasons why. I have eight of them, Chris. Eight reasons why I don't want to do that. <laughs> okay. I'm listening. We're going to play uh, this bit out, Nick. What's all reason right. number one? Uh, he's Mike Posner. Okay. Uh, two. <laughs> reason number two. Can't, it better not be the same as reason one. If we're going to be talking about uh, rappers, by the way, I, I, I want to go ahead and say it's like when I grow up, I'm going to be Lil Nas X, even though he's like a decade younger than me. <laughs> I'd also like to note it was very charitable for you to call Mike Poster a rapper. What is he? I don't even know. He's a pop guy. He, he did Whatever. that song Cooler Than You or Cooler Than Me. Cooler Than Me. Yeah. I've been freed from my from my obligation to uh, explain the rest because I corrected you. There. True. All right. That's the rules. I don't make them. I just have to follow them. Samurai 8. So um, there's a th- th- villains in the Akatsuki meeting place and they're like, oh, it's beautiful power. Bye. <laughs> This will be important later. Anyway, 
So Hachimaru has just met his fated princess, An. And uh, Hachimaru celebrates and he's like, all right, now that uh, you're here and 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 my, my holder is here, the whole trinity is together. So I'll get a lot stronger. Nice to meet you. What was your name again? And An's just like, <sighs> and just kind of like turns away from him. And she even says, hmm. So honestly, there are a couple of moments in this chapter where I'm like, yeah, good for you. When she when she just treats Hachimaru like shit because he's being such a jackass about everything. Mm. So uh, he tries to flash back to what Dharma told him about fate and then is like, wait, I don't I wasn't listening hard enough. I don't remember what he said. It's it's probably the only joke that's come across particularly good when he starts trying to imagine the conversation and he just can't. When it's when your subconscious. D- Wait, what was the rest of what he said? <laughs> it's when your subconscious. Meow, 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 meow. Damn it! I did it again. Uh, something about underwear. Mm. <laughs> so, Hachimaru tries to go over to Dharma and say, "Aren't we're fated like? Doesn't that mean that we have to be nice and friendly and stuff?" And Dharma's like, "No." In fact, it looks like you got you got completely rejected. You got shot down, bro. <laughs> um, and Dharma explains that just because they're together doesn't mean jack shit. Uh, he's actually got to, you know, do the right stuff. Anyway, he approaches uh, was. Oh, God, there's too many H names in this goddamn series. Let me. T- OK, it's ha ha. I wrote it down. Hang on. Hagamichi. He approaches Hagamichi and on. Uh, and says, hey, listen, listen, like, it's it's OK. Look, I'm mentoring Hachimaru. And then he bows uh, to An and says, my apprentice has been rude. Please overlook that and tell us your name. And on after some stuttering, says says her name is On. And Dharma proves to be like the smoothest, coolest guy in the universe because he's like, ah, it is derived from the characters ah and mm, which is like Alpha and Omega, a splendid name that bookends all of creation. And she's like, oh, you're so nice. And it's like, well, okay. Dharma's really cool all of a sudden. I was going to say, for any young guys listening who think that might be a good idea to try on their first date, I I I guarantee you that will not be. If she's like, my name's Jessica, like, ah, Jessica, born from the middle-aged Jeskaya. Of course, origins from Greece when you go back and trace it to that origin. (laughs) This only works if you're an old, wizened cat samurai. Don't try it unless you're all four of those things. (laughs) It's, again, it's the old cat samurai rules. We don't make them, guys, but we have to follow them. Uh, so she's like, oh, oh, thank you. And Hachimaru immediately cuts it and it's like, yeah, my master's pretty boring, isn't he? <laughs> Read the room. Hey, have I told you about my last time playing Xbox? <laughs> I got all, I got all the unlockables. <laughs> I got like seven achievements because I'm the cool one. Jesus Christ. <laughs> Fuck this case. <laughs> Um, so Hagamichi proposes that he take, uh, Hachimaru and he's like, oh, do you, he calls Dharma cat samurai, which is just like, 
Why don't you ask him his name since they're all, we're all introducing ourselves here in this moment instead of just calling him Cat Samurai. Um, uh, Dharma says, "Hey, you know, maybe if you're gonna say if you're gonna say stuff like, oh, he needs a proper master, maybe you need a master because you do not see with your mind's eye." And he's like, "What do you mean?" <laughs> Dharma identifies himself using his head thing, the thing that comes out of his spine. And uh, Hagamichi immediately apologizes, recognizing him. Uh, and of course, this shows on and uh, Hachimaru that Dharma is really important uh, and well thought of and stuff. We cut over briefly to Hachimaru's father, who has just now realized that, oh, they flew off on jet dogs and aren't here anymore. God damn it. Wow, they've been gone for hours, dude. Like, <laughs> it's just him. Like seen in a chair next to the window, be like, I should turn my head slightly to the right to make sure my son's still outside. But that's he's not. But that's too much work for me. Another hour, perhaps. Is is this what happened to uh, to Yuhabak after he was yeah, killed? He, <laughs> he got he got old. His nose got very large, and then uh, he adopted a little kid. Yeah, he's and, a good guy now. Yeah, he hangs out on a farm. If I get to do my Foghorn Leghorn voice, then I'll do it. Whatever. <laughs> it's, it's all for you, Nick. For Hachimaru's dad, who I'm sure will be a very important character. <laughs> At least we'll probably have time to find that out. <laughs> uh, Hagamichi contacts Princess Anne, or Un. There's too many similar names. Princess Un, the one who was in charge of the Princess train station and stuff. Anyway, and uh, Hagami just reports back to her and is like, yeah, I guess we're going to let uh, Dharma uh, mentor him, but we'll stay here for a little while, too. She says that An should remain behind as well, and that can because she can also improve her abilities uh, while they're hanging out there. So uh, Dharma takes everybody back to his hideout. Uh, it's a very bizarre um, Naruto cave, like it looks as though uh, freaking Pain or Orochimaru could be hanging out in it. So mm. there's you know like floating spheres and stuff. There's a waterfall for some reason, um, and uh, they're like, all right, uh, let's have let's have food. But uh, An uh, remembers uh, part of her princess training that she has to be kind to her samurai and so she asks Dharma if he's got any ingredients and she uh, gets this this uh, bizarre kind of glop uh, together uh, in fact it makes sounds such as bloop and glorp uh, as it is plopped down in front of everyone and in fact while it's just sitting there it's just slowly bubbling um, I like the reactions that the three of them have because Hagamichi and Hachimaru both are just like, oh, I don't know if this is edible. But Dharma is just like, ooh, food. And he's got his paws clasped in front of his mouth. And, of course, he's the first one to dig in. Uh, and Hachimaru's like, Master, yeah, I can't believe you ate this stuff. And he's like, it's really good. And like, they eat it and they're like, oh, it's good. Wow. I just assumed because you made it be trash. And you just seem like you're bad at everything. By the way, did I tell you about my Xbox yesterday? <laughs> Three times so far, Hachimaru. <laughs> yeah, but I tell you about it today. I kind of want to see Hachimaru and Boruto in the same room. <laughs> I mean, they're basically the same character. 
Except one's actually had character development yet. Give him a little bit of time. Yeah. We'll see. Uh, Hachimaru again acts like a dick because he immediately is just like, hey, An, I'll have some more food now. And she's like, get it yourself. What? I'm being made to get my own food? Like some kind of not princess person? Hmm. It's an odd kind of moment after that point, though, because, like, Hachimaru, like, slums. He's like, oh, I've been rejected again. And as soon as she's around the corner, An starts, like, giggling to herself. I don't know. It's kind of it's kind of weird because it's hard to tell if she likes Hachimaru or not. I think she's happy that everyone liked her food, but she's um, still trying to be, like, she's not trying to show that to anybody. She's, you know, she's keeping that to herself, but she's kind of enjoying everything. Mm. But, you know, she's going to be this kind of standoffish because she doesn't like Hachimaru yet, which yeah. is reasonable because he's 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 an asshole. Yeah. yeah. Um, I do think it's like. Isn't it kind of weird? They, they describe what princesses do besides be Not, housewives in this series so far. Like, really, I'm sure that there's going to be more explanation because we've had a lot of chapters of explanation as to how samurai work. Um, but. Samurai 8's been getting clearly pushed pretty hard by Shonen Jump so far, so clearly Kishimoto's like, I got time to explain this shit. So he's going to take his fucking sweet time doing it. Um, I'm trying to think of the only things we've seen them do besides being told they're very important to Samurai. And I was like, we've only seen them cook and do flower arranging. Right. <laughs> I was like, And I'm not sure how either of those are supposed to actually aid Samurai in their quest for key right. swords or whatever. I mean, in fairness, it's been two chapters since the concept was introduced, but those are three of eight chapters so far. Yeah. So. Uh, and also holders, it seemed like the concept was introduced and explained very quickly by comparison. So, mm. so after food, Hachimaru tries to uh, practice with forming uh, his chakra into a sword again. And he actually gets the blade to uh, come out straight instead of it drooping over all flaccidly again. Uh, and he celebrates his achievement and An is watching the proceedings along with Dharma. And uh, she's like, is, is, why is he so happy about that? And Dharma's like, yeah, he's already failed at this a lot of times. It's, you know, it's not the same as your cooking. And An says, actually, no one's eaten my cooking before. Um and she says that she's always used to failing at what she does, so I put on a bold face, just like I did around Hachimaru. And Dharma says a pretty long but pretty impressive speech here, because uh, he says that, yeah, he's he's the same way. Uh, he, you know, I think that you're a better uh, princess than he is a samurai. And she asks him, what, are, are you sure about that? Like, are you eyes, are, do your eyes work at all? And he says, no, they don't. <laughs> Uh, he says, my eyes don't work at all, but there are times when I can see everything. The ah and the un. Ah signifies the beginning and un is the end, but everything else lies in between the two sounds. In other words, it is not easy for them to connect. Nothing will come easily, but that is normal. There's no need to rush. It will all work out in time. Meaning, take it slowly! And he like shouts at Hachimaru. <laughs> I think he's shouting because he, it's his word bubble's like all bold and it's showing him in the, from the distance. So yeah, it's a cool speech. I really like it. it. It's a good, it's a good sentiment to have. Look, if this is the direction we're going, then it's good that 
we at least start off on rocky ground and you need a mentor character or some older character to like step in or more mature, I guess, to say like, hey, you guys are going to have at least a professional working relationship. And right now, things between you may not be great, but they're going to get better. It's very difficult to connect with people right off the bat, but everything you know like this can be improved with time. So you just got to keep working. It's a good sentiment to share. Uh, and it makes Daruma like a lot cooler of a character. I'm actually able to get like a lot more of a sense for his like identity as a character at this point. Um, it's just, and I know a lot of people in the chat and in general seem to really like on, and I don't have anything necessarily against her. I just don't care about either of these kids mm. and their stupid quest. So like, while the speech is cool, I don't actually care about the end result of it. Yep. I'm at this point where if it weren't for the fact that we do it for the podcast, I would not be reading Samurai 8 whatsoever. I, I just, I cannot get into this series for whatever reason. Well, it wouldn't be the first series that's like that that we cover, so. Yeah. And we see that the guy who was in the space meeting the evil dude with the mask is flying through space, and he goes straight through a meteoroid, and he's like, obnoxious meteoroid clouds. It's like, it's a bunch of rocks, dude. They don't have a personality. Ooh, curse you, obfuscating space debris. Curse you, space rocks. I'll get you for this. Damn you and your tepid responses. Anyway, let's talk about last night, Yuki. Let's do it, Nick. It's chapter 17, Stasis. Uh, so we get a flashback from Binary Hair Dudes. I, I forget his comp- entire name during this entire chapter. Uh, despite the fact that he had that he's the entire focus of this chapter, I, I, I don't remember his name. His name like, Sorry. I feel like it's gone or something like that. No, nah, I don't know. So. I just guessed uh, the name and I thought maybe I'd be right. I took a shot in the dark, Nick. Basically, we get some insight into his connection with Estelle. Uh, he, this entire chapter basically is about him being in denial about the fact that he cares for her uh, and has a you know fatherly relationship with her, um, considering that he took her under his wing after her mother died, and uh, essentially, the problem that he sees is the fact that uh, Etoile had a flaw as an evolved human because you can't have emotions when you're going closer to the true human form. Uh, But she cared about her daughter and she ended up being killed by a monster that she would normally have been able to defeat because of her weakness. Uh, He fights with the plague doctor mask guy uh, is cutting through him a whole lot, but the guy is held together by his Nyoibo. Um, And the guy mocks him because he sees through uh, his acts saying like, you know, I know that you care about her. You know, you've got you've got an emotion inside of you that you're trying to bear, that you're trying to bury, but you're, you know, not a perfect unit. You've got those emotions that are holding you back. As long as you have that consideration for others, your blade cannot kill me and you cannot go any further in your attainment. Uh, but at that moment, the Karori that the children defeated uh, cries out or it doesn't cry out. They hear basically the baseball slash kill it. And so Plague Doctor Guy's like, all right, I, 
I've I've delayed you long long enough, so I I guess I better get going. Um, and he says, you know, you may act all nonchalant, but you've been dying to go and check on your precious disciples, haven't you? Uh, he lowers his weapon. And is like, yeah, I suppose so. The plate doctor guy tries to attack him. He dodges it and cuts his fucking head off. It's a pretty badass panel, mm. oh, I will say. But the guy's head goes flying, and his nyoibo just goes out of the eye socket, one of the eye sockets of the mask, and over to a headless body that's waiting on a rooftop. And he just plops the head onto the new body and then walks off. So that's weird. It's a very cool, like, exchange. You're just like, what the fuck's happening here? It's very and he cool. says, you know, as he is now, he's going to just die. And uh, so he looks forward to the day you abandon that kindness of yours. So he shows back up in front of the kids and thinks about what the plague doctor guy said to him. And uh, he says, hey, you know, Rinosuke Koharu, you did well. It seems that you do have some special power. Estelle starts to look a little sad uh, because he's not saying anything to her. And he thinks about uh, the time that they've spent together. And he thinks about uh, his uh, connection to her connection to Etoile. And uh, he just thinks to himself, we are master and disciple, nothing else. I cannot have any I cannot possibly have any special feelings for her. But instead, he says, you know, like there are people who have the courage to face fear and to find the ray of hope they need to defeat and seeing your new transformations. It's evidence that you have done that. Honestly, I underestimated you. I thought that you were weak, but you've gotten stronger. Estelle. Thinks to himself, you know, this isn't special. This is just, you know, a master praising a disciple that has exceeded expectations. This doesn't have to do with how I personally feel. Mm. It's these words have no feelings behind them. But while he's saying it all, he's flashback to all the time that they've spent together, training together, him watching over her while she was alone, thinking about her mother. And he, we, when he finishes it, he's, you know, staring at her with his same like emotionless dead eyes but he's just thinking to himself, there are no feelings behind what I'm saying at all. Clearly in denial over it. So it's a cool kind of sequence. Um, the relationship between them is pretty basic, but it's this moment is done really well, I think. Yeah, the execution's really well done. And I'm fine with like the narrative they're trying to push here that uh, side hair, two color, two face man, whatever we're calling him. Uh, that he has this this dilemma being placed upon him that it's like, okay, you're you you know this guy's trying to tell him about being like you care too much. That's why you you have this weakness. If you truly were the best, you wouldn't care. And you know that's what he's trying to convince himself. He's like, I don't care. This is this is just natural. And and basically trying to suppress those emotions. It really kind of like is the bubbling starting point for what I think would be a really interesting arc that I don't imagine we're going to have the time to fully explore. But, you know, I do like this being the starter of how he transitioned from Estelle's arc into this guy's arc, you know, kind of in a natural way. Yeah. It's really interesting. Following up on that, <clears throat> immediately after, he says that they've got to, you know, help out the Islanders who have been affected by the Karori, restore them to their full strength. And Ryunosuke is like, so... Do we have to kiss everyone on the island? He's like, what the fuck are you talking about? Hell, what happened to you out there, my boy? (laughs) 
what have you guys been doing? <laughs> um, and we don't even see what they actually do because there's just a bit of narration that says reinforcements arrived and we helped make something and gave the finished product to the Islanders and they were able to regain their strength. Like, what did you make? It's, like, it's curry. <laughs> All right. We made special they, curry that fixed everything. Yeah. This like, is, okay. This is the addicted to curry sequel that nobody realized was in the making. Oh God. Yeah. Jesus Christ. It's been forever since the thought of that series. <laughs> I'm glad to bring you back to it for only a hot moment in time. It's been like eight years or something since we read that. Jeez. Yeah, that was a real early one. So um, he says while they're eating curry together, um, we're going to be very busy with the Oban Festival coming up. Ah! (laughs) I love that. That like, so within the past couple weeks, we've had like, a character nearly like uh, sucked of all of her nutrients so that she would just be like a dehydrated mummy and collapse to the ground. And then this wild fight against a monster of mouths. And then this, this chapter even includes like a guy having his head cut off and the, you know, dismembered head connecting itself to a second body so it could taunt the guy. And then we end the chapter with being like, Oh, but the school festival's coming up and all the characters are like, who? <laughs> It's a very weird ju- Like, am I meant to actually care about the Oban Festival? Unless he, like, next chapter, he's like, oh, that's when the hand monsters come out to, to punch the earth and we have to stop them or something like that. So we're up to chapter 17 of uh, Last Sayuki. Um, haven't gotten any word yet that the series has been canceled. So it seems like it's going to last a little bit longer because usually around chapter 18 is when we get word of that. Mm -hmm. Like by this point, we would have probably heard that chapter 18 was going to be the last chapter, for example. So I don't know if we're going to get like just a handful more or what. I'm just making a note of it because it's unusual that it seems like we're going to have 18 chapters and the 18th is not going to be the last one. Unless just like for whatever reason that hasn't broken yet. So we shall see. Uh, there's, I guess, more time for us to, to find out about that, but I guess we, at the very least, will get more Last Sayuki for a little bit. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. Let's talk about We Never Learn, Nick. Okay, I have to emotionally prepare myself for this. <laughs> Alright, question 117, the clockwork fireflies yearn for the snow flurries of a pizza bet part four. So last chapter, Ogata was very low on herself. Uh, had to uh, separate herself from the group entirely, and uh, there was some sexy shenanigans inside of a nurse's room. But all that's aside now, because Uega shows up with a game for Ogata that he says if she wins, he'll leave her alone, but if he wins, she has to admit that she likes herself. So she's like, huh, uh, it looks like one of his homemade language tests. And I think part of this is just because we're in English that I guess... She's supposed to be translating these from English into Japanese. No. Or vice versa. That's her, that's what Aruka does. This is just a language thing. She's bad at reading, basically. She's bad at literature. Oh, yeah. Sorry. Well, I didn't know if like she was translating it that way just for the sake. I don't know. Anyway, so she looks She's over. She's not translating it. It's yeah. just the text is in English so that you can re- understand it. Yeah. So... It's all about uh, like a, a short story almost that 
she thinks mm-hmm. is about herself at first because it talks about how she, how it's like oh, I hated myself and there was this person who's always at my side and I wanted to be like her and she's like oh okay it's about me and then she gets to the line that says I wanted to be like Ri Chan she's like oh, hold on a second now I don't know if it's about me <laughs> <laughs> uh, and it's it's all the stuff it's like my dream was to you know work with the stars and I didn't have the talent to give up. And she realizes at that point that this is Famino's story. And we get a flashback to when the two of them were back with uh, Kirisu and be basically given like, hey, you suck at this. Stop trying. Go back to the career path that like, you're actually good at. And the first shot you see is of Famino being like, yes. And it's so devastating because her eyes are just so dead as she's reluctantly accepting the fact that her dream is dead at this moment. And she's just going to go like have to go back to going into literature and everything like that. Uh, but then immediately it's, it's countered by Ogata being like, that's stupid. I'm going to make my own choices. I don't have a pick a meter of use for your opinions. You don't give one millimeter of a fuck. <laughs> uh, and we see from Fumino's expe- uh, perspective how she's like, you know, that was Rizu Ogata, the science genius. You know, we were assigned to a tutor and... You know, my father would have loved her because she was just, uh, you know, she was just a math genius. You know, he would have loved to have a daughter like her. But I've been rejected by my father and my teacher, and my dream is absolutely crushed at this point. And I'm so jealous of her, and I hated myself for it. And she's uh, walking home as fireflies are starting to kind of like light up the sigh. And she's like, uh, Ogata's like, so are you going to change your path? And she's like, oh, well, you know, she did kind of say that I'm really bad for it. And she's like, but isn't the point of studying to learn what you want to learn? What does talent or someone else's approval have to do with it? I could not care less about other people's opinions about our aptitude and potential. And Fumino has these, you know, the starry eyed look as she's enamored with how impressive Ogata is at this point. And she's like, I didn't know, you know, we didn't know anything about each other at that point. It was just this one little moment and comment. I, you know, I bet you don't even remember, but you were the only person in the whole world who didn't deny my dream. And you were the one to help me understand that it was okay to try. And I'm sure that you have no idea how dazzling you were to me. So even if you don't like yourself, I will always love you, Richan. Oh, look, Chris. Fumino's in love with Rogata. Uh, what I guess that? that means that they're lesbians, like. It, that she she's in love with her. Yeah. We're gonna find out in a little bit how yeah. wrong you are. But maybe okay. I should like bet a pizza on this or something. Like I mean, you maybe might I should as, read way you, too much into you this. You might as well, Nick, to try to make up for the bad pizza bet you made earlier in life, mm-hmm. and this one to counteract it. You know, you bet on the Jets to world win the Super Bowl. You're like, well, I better bet on the Patriots. Just to be <laughs> <safe>. <laughs> Uh, so she's like, yeah, you know, it was never, it was Uega's idea for me to write this, to write about you and how I feel. And they're like, yeah, you know, we, we've both felt the same way about each other this whole time. It makes me happy, but you know, I'm still afraid that everyone else will see the ugly things around me. And Uega immediately says, we'll never judge you. It's up to you how you want to feel about yourself. And I don't know what ugly things you're talking about. But you can always tell us how you feel, and if it, you know, if I did see something you know I didn't like, I, you know, we'd talk about it and we would address it together. And she, you know, Gata's like, oh, what if I don't get better? 
And she's like, we'll keep working on it and we'll learn from it. What else is there? And he like pats her on the head. And she's like, let's get back to work. It's Christmas time and shit like that. And uh, then fucking everyone shows up. All the other girls show up, including Sekijo. Well, K- Kirisu's not there. She's the one uh, yeah. character who's absent during this, basically. Yeah, sorry. All the classmates, students, I should say. Uh, so they all are like, hey, let's have a big Christmas party and let's do uh, something like that. So Yuega's like, oh, hey, do we have something that would take about like 30 minutes that we could just do together? So, shocker, shockers, they begin playing one of Ogata's board games that her grandmother made. Specifically the one that she made that Ogata kept trying, or Ogata kept trying to play with her grandmother Mm -hmm. at the end. And uh, it's got all these weird rules on it, like, oh, player two and player three have to hold hands until the next turn. So it's her and Yuega, and she's like, oh, you know, I'm happy. This This is really fun. This is great. And it's my first time playing with so many friends. And there's all these other things like, oh, say something nice about this player. Express your gratitude towards this player. All these all these wacky games. And she realized, like, uh, Aruka comes in and is just like, you know, this game really involves everyone. It's really, really fun. And Yuiga's like, yeah, the person who made it must have wanted you to play with a lot of friends, Ogata. And that's when Ogata realizes Chris. everything. Chris. I, I can't do with this. <laughs> <laughs> She realizes what the whole thing was in the beginning. So we get a flashback to a very young Ogata being like, hey, why don't we go play with the abacus when we get home, Grandma? Uh, and you know, Ogata's grandma is just like, oh, geez, what am I going to do with you? Why don't, why don't you play games with kids your own age sometime? And the guy's like, but I just want to play with you, Grand Grand. And Ogata's grandmother sees a bunch of kids playing a board game or being really excited about playing a board game. So she thinks about it and she goes home and she designs a board game specifically to be played with other people. But she's coughing a lot as this happens because she knows the end is coming. So a scene happens where Gata's like, ooh, let's play a game with me. She's like, no, you've got a ways to go before you beat your old grand-grand. And we see the scene from the other side now, literally just the other side (laughs) So it's Ogata being like, are you tired of me, Grand Grand? And Grand Grand says, I am. And you could see just devastating pain in her face as she says it. And we realize Grand Grand lied because she wanted Ogata to play this kind of game with all of her friends. And her ghost is watching her, Chris. (laughs) And her ghost is watching from the corner, and she's got some peanuts, and it's a very good time. I was emotionally devastated reading this chapter chris (laughs) oh man this got me so bad like it's not fair like because like it's not just this moment like if this moment had come out of nowhere then it would be oh that that, that's really bad but like the first you know half or first third or so of this chapter with like the connection between ogata and fumino and then fumino shows up looking all sad and wanting her friend to feel happier and better about herself that like primes you for it. It softens you up. Like the first layer of defense goes down (laughs) and then before you can recover and get your heart hardened against all of the softness of the world, dead grandma who wanted Ogata (laughs) to have friends shows up. And And she wanted her to have friends because she knew she was about to die. It's so, Oh, I, I, I and it's like such a happy sad too uh-huh. because it all works out okay but oh it's 
heart wrenching. <laughs> I'm not. So I don't like. I, I I've talked about before that like I, I have trouble watching movies without crying nowadays. Not like sobbing in theaters, but like I get like the single soldier tear, right? Because <laughs> uh, I'm very very brave and very very strong. Uh, and I got one of those reading this chapter as you got to this point because it's hard. I got so misty eyed. Like I was misty eyed at the ha- at the beginning, and then by the end, I was like, oh. <laughs> uh, so then. You know, everybody's really excited. You know, Ruka's like, don't study anymore by yourself, okay? We missed you. And she's like, okay, I won't, you know, sorry to worry you. And uh, Fumita walks up. It's like, so do you still dislike yourself? And, you know, there's a whole flashback of, the, like, the whole point of that essay thing was, or the, the story was to be like, if you win the game, then, you know, whatever. But if you don't, then I win, you know, if you like yourself. So we'll work out together, you know, how long it takes. And uh, Ogata says, no. Once again, I really am bad at games. And then we get Oh, and she got a hundred on her on her uh, on the test that uh you get made for her. Chris. She got better. She's found her dream. Uh and then we get the only part of this chapter that I really don't like. Uh where we end it with Fumino being like, So you like yourself then? And Ogata is staring off to Ueka and she's like, I think it's more like love. This is a lesson to everybody out there. It's very important for you to have... Take this. <laughs> take this from somebody with massive self-esteem and depression issues. It's important for you to love yourself. And that love should not be dependent on another person in a relationship. So I'm very happy that Ogata has cared about herself. I do, I do not enjoy, though, that the end implication is that she likes herself vicariously through... A shared interest of loving Uega in return. I hope that the intent of this is more that because she's not blinded by self-hate, she's able to better deal with the emotions that she couldn't understand at the start of this saga. Uh When we saw that she was jealous of Fumino and she didn't understand why. I, I I don't think that's it's 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 not like an attack on the series or anything like that. I don't even necessarily think that was the intended goal of that moment. But I feel like when you take this scene out of context and I think about how another series would do this scene, it would one hundred percent earnestly mean it in that application of like, mm-hmm. Oh well, I love me because protagonist loves me. And that's mm-hmm. not a healthy way to view yourself. No. So I don't like it from this execution right there. I think the chapter by and large is very good. I just wanted to note that that last panel there is a, is a good message to people that your own self-worth should come from yourself, not through somebody else's uh, relationship with you or effectuation with you or anything of that regard. That said, you should also, uh, you know, um, strive to form uh, relationships, both romantic and non-rom and, uh, and platonic uh, with people who make you feel good about yourself, um, as opposed to people who make you feel bad about yourself. So. Yeah, Nick, you stupid cocksucker. Yeah, you asshole. <laughs> Fuck you. <laughs> anyway, it's a very good chapter. It's uh, extremely well done. It's moments like this that make me go back in time, and I'm like, no, I was <laughs> right. We never learned is the be- is better than Nisikoi. <laughs> I think that we've reached the point with the number of really good stories that we never learn has told that we could say like, yeah, it's it is a good series. It's a very good series. 
it's just that every time that we see that we seem to bring that up, it seems to go like, and now it's time for an animal to randomly steal all the panties off the girl's asses. <laughs> it's like they go they go horse riding and all the horses keep biting off their shirts. <laughs> <laughs> Somebody like, I don't even think that's kind of sexual. It seems weird. It only bites off their bras, though. So then whenever they ride, now their boobies are bouncing around. And also the track pants, the, the weird like horse riding pants, it goes up their asses. Yeah, well, I mean, that would happen no matter what. Look, that, right. could, that could be a story about like Seki Joe's deep seated sexuality issues or something like that. It would still be riding up her ass if you'd still it's be just like, like yeah. her going to see a therapist or something about the issues that she has. And I just don't understand. Like, is this how friends feel or is there something more? And she'll be like lying comfortably on her back on the couch and somehow there will be a shot of her pants getting drawn into her butt. Right? <laughs> we'll see a shot from the perspective of like a uh, crevice in the couch. <laughs> Just so we know like, oh, okay, her clothes are being... It's very important. She could, be, she could be wearing like, uh, like the thickest denim jeans in the universe <laughs> and somehow they'll still be going up her, her, uh, her ass. It's just how it works. No, good chapter. All right. Let's move on to Dr. Stone. Time to get stoned. Z equals 111 Science Wars featuring a fucking badass two-page color spread. I'm not going to lie. This may be one of the coolest two-page color spreads in any series I've ever seen. As soon as this thing becomes available as a poster, I'm getting it. Seriously, this is amazing. It is supremely cool. All right. Uh, it's time for the harem selection thing. Uh, and in the shot we see, prior to the two-page spread, we see uh, Amaryllis, Kohaku, and Ginro in disguise, all lining up for that. And meanwhile, Senku is preparing... A science earring, which is the key to this mission's success. Mm. Uh, some other women get uh, picked from the village first, and we see tall beard guy uh, holding a woman up in a way that doesn't really make sense, honestly. No, he like grabs her by the belt with just his middle finger. And I assume she's like writhing backwards in pain because her belt is made of adamantium and refuses to oh, give to her spine. body. Yeah, so it's just pulling her spine upwards and tearing her back in half. I will also say before we get too deep into this, there's a lot of like skeeviness in this chapter um, because... Dr. Stone, in general, Boichi's like weird, perverted artwork has kind of been muted for the most part. It's more effective than it could be. Like if this if this chapter had happened in Eden Zero, we would just be like, oh, come the fuck on. Like, it'd be another, yeah. yeah, it would be another chapter in Zero, basically. But because this is not something that regularly happens in Dr. Stone, at least it has the intended effect of, wow, these guys are gross. So. It also, and maybe this is just from, you know, a, a bad take perspective of somebody who really doesn't have a stake in this fight, but I do at least enjoy that a lot of it is broken up by, like, really funny scenes of, mm. like, the artwork in particular. So at least, like, when you have that moment, it's, you know, I don't know, maybe it's just balanced out by it's, like, using the art different other ways to at least portray, like, mm. a feeling of, like, humor or something like that as well. 
it's not trudging through an entire chapter of ugliness, basically. Yeah. yeah. So uh, the girl that he's picked up uh, has just gotten married and uh, her husband has been beaten and uh, cast to the side. And he's like, no, we've just gotten married. And he tries to get up uh, and confront them. But Amaryllis puts a hand on his shoulder and is like, hey, just endure it for now. Listen, we've all you know, lost people from this. I've endured having my friends turned to stone for five years and it's all led to this. We're going to get into this harem and save everyone. And he looks back at her and is like, what can a timid girl like you do? And I guess that <laughs> all of the guys who are there for the harem selection don't notice this conversation going on. As immediately they come up to her and she's like, I'm Amaryllis and I get nervous around big strong men. And she's making herself all blushy and teary eyed. And immediately Beard Guy's like, yeah, you're selected. <laughs> get in this harem. Then there's this one woman who shows up and she's like, my homie passed away last year, but this flower still has a lot of love to give. And her kids are like, mom, no. <laughs> Stop it, mom. And the guy just like ignores her completely. He's just like already in the background walking away. He's like, yeah, I'm just gonna save myself the time for this. Mm. So Kahaku's like, oh crap, I'm next. So he remembers the advice that Gen gave her. Like, okay, look, you're, there's no way you're gonna be able to imitate Amaryllis's cutesy bashful act. It's not you. That's beyond you. Instead, just try acting, you know, excitable and hyperactive. So. <laughs> I'm not sure how to describe exactly what Kohaku does, but she doesn't do it well. I'll do. I'll. I'll, I'll just say that much. She's so awkward that her own face appears on her thumb when she makes the thumbs up. That's about all you need to know. Um, and the guy is uh kind of befuddled by this, and you see like the scale on his head going back and forth. And he's like, mm, I don't know about this. Basic, and we find out later his standards are very low. So she did a really bad job, basically. <laughs> Eventually, he decides she's easy on the eyes and he appreciates a woman with curves and he starts to reach out towards her breasts. And Kohaku reacts the way that Kohaku does by reaching up towards his hand and starting to break it. <laughs> it's like kind of immediately, eh, I'm going to just rip this arm out of its socket. But one of the guards who has accompanied him puts a axe club thing. I guess that's the easiest way to describe it is like the kind of staff clubs that M'Baku used in uh, Black Panther. Yeah. Anyway. And he separates the two of them. So their leader is like, what, what the hell are you doing? He's like, I think I saw a bee. Oh, okay. Anyway, she's going in the harem. <laughs> Guard guy says, hey, you're really strong, aren't you? And Kaku doesn't say anything. So he says, you know, I like your type. I don't know what it is what you're after, but if you involve your plan involves messing with the harem that I love so much, I'll stop you dead in your tracks. I'll sneak over and find you in the harem sometime. Looking forward to our encounter, if you know what I mean. And Kohaku says, if you mean Mortal Kombat, I'm ready for you whenever. He does not mean Mortal Kombat, Kohaku. It's sweet that you think that, though. I Break his arm too, please. I, I thought I thought it. I thought he did. I thought he was like, oh, there was him being like, I'm coming over to kill you at some point, <laughs> basically. And I was like, oh, that was pretty cool. No, he's being skeevy. Oh. 
I, I, it's a, it's cute that you think that too, though, Chris. Very innocent. I'm a sweet. <laughs> or maybe I just like this chapter put me in a dark place. And I'm like, all these people are assholes. <laughs> One of us is wrong, clearly. It's always me. It's fine. Yeah, pizza bet. So anyway, uh, Seku is working on the science earring, as everyone describes it. And he basically has made like a listening device, um, a trans it's not a transceiver it's a receiver and uh, all these all it involves is like there's a little bit of copper wire some seas some salt and a little stone to vibrate and you can use it to receive orders during secret missions and gen's like there's no machine around here how does it receive radio waves exactly and sick is like oh it's it's it, 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 yeah it'll work it'll receive radio it waves. just does shut up and it's so small though is, is there a circuit chip in it no it's just a rock yeah that's just how science be. Yeah. And he's like, is this a battery? No, no, no. It'll work forever without one. <laughs> I, I do love how he's just doing that. Like, well, like cleaning out his ear. It's just know. like, wait, so this thing's basically like a radio thing that yeah. doesn't need any circuitry and needs no battery power. It'll just function forever the way it is. And he's yep. like, yeah, of course. It's just a receiver. So yeah. it'll vibrate uh, when it res- when it when something of the right frequency uh, hits it. So now I don't know too much about this, but when this w- was brought up, I was like, oh, yeah, I think I've heard of that. So anyway, Kohaku and Amarillo have both been selected, which just leaves Ginro. So Ginro <laughs> introduces himself. He's like, yeah, I'm Ginrolina. Nah. Yeah, I'm, I'm not cute at all. Just, just like spreading his legs out, slapping him. So, yeah, nah, nah. <laughs> Trying his hardest not to get chosen. And the guy's just like, oh, look at you, you pint-sized tomboy. You're so cute. Selected. <laughs> <laughs> I do love that. He's just like, oh, look at you. You're just a tiny little tomboy. Come on into the harem. <laughs> It's no standards whatsoever. <laughs> so <laughs> the girls get dragged off or are escorted off, I should say. <laughs> the mother from before was like, oh, I nearly won them over. And they're like, Mom, go home. <laughs> we want you to stay here and feed us. <laughs> what a weird character. So, uh, Soyuz throws the uh, earpiece out towards them. Kaku, with her supervision, of course, spots it, grabs it, and puts it in her ear. And Gen's like, all right, time to test this. Can you hear me, Kohaku? If you can, strike a cute pose. And Kohaku hears this, and she's like, uh, hmm, ah, hmm. And she thinks of Suika, which I totally understand that. Mm. So she strikes a Suica pose with like on with herself like on one foot with her arms spread out. Looks very strange when someone actually has limbs that they need to pose. The guards are like, "What the fuck is she doing?" And I was like, "Yay, the earpiece really works." And Sek is like, "I mean, I don't know if that's a cute pose." <laughs> <laughs> I like how Suica's worried because she's like, "They mean she didn't get our message. It didn't work." She's like, "No, it worked. I just..." I don't think she knows what cute is. <laughs> and Kohaku looks up at the cliff face and she's like, I will have my revenge 10 times over for this. <laughs> and apparently Gin hears her. So. But anyway, now they can give instructions to Kohaku. So that's good. 
Um, but they say that uh, th- there's a, a problem, you know, if like uh, the woman who has the petrification device, Kirisame, she's uh, quite a quite a ferocious fighter. And if she were to just try and take it from her, that that's asking for trouble. Although I I do like that. They, they're like, oh, yeah, Kohaku will get her ass kicked. It's like, well, no, but it will still cause trouble. So it won't be easy. Mm-hmm. Um. But Senku says, like, yeah, Kirisame will protect the petrification beam. Uh, so the only time she's not going to be just holding on to it on her person is in that one moment when she throws it to activate it. That's when we strike. And Senku says, this was a battle that was always going to be fought in midair. Here on this primitive island, we're going to make a drone! These are my favorite, like, chapters of this series when it ends in a way where you're just like, fucking what, my dude? <laughs> Excuse me? When he's like, we're going to make a fucking mobile cell phone. Or it's like, we're going to invent self-driving cars. What? It's what we need in this situation. Yeah. <laughs> we're going to invent uh, a mobile hero collector video game app based off of the Digimon IP. And you're like, this is very specific. What are we going to do? We're going to make a nanite. <laughs> yeah, we're going to make a nanobot machine. Like the one in uh, Big Hero 6. Everyone's favorite Pixar Disney movie. Or Disney movie. Pixar movie, but yeah. Yeah, everyone's favorite mediocre Disney movie. <laughs> I'm like, they keep putting it in things. Like they put it in Kingdom Hearts, and you're just like, I guess somebody enjoys this. It's a merch machine, I think, is all that it is. Yeah. Anyway, uh, fun chapter. Nice, lots of nice little jokes in it. Uh, the villains that I'm supposed to hate, I hate them now, so congratulations on that. Uh, and yeah, I am looking forward to them just making a freaking drone because why not? All right. What's next here? Let's talk about seven deadly sins, Nicholas. Let's do that. Seven deadly sins. Chapter three, 17 proud determination. (sighs) So Nick Escanor has arrived on the scene with the spawn of Endula is killing a bunch of, or trying to kill a bunch of the Holy Knights. He intervenes and says, hey, I'm going to fight this for you. I'm the, you know, the the demon sin of pride. I won't, or deadly sin of pride. I'm not going to just let this happen. So he's trying to hold his ground, uh, but the uh, spore is just killing it. It's, it's basically just like a pod with a mouth and a tongue that just cuts things. So, you know, Guild Thunder, we see, try to do something to fight back. Doesn't, you know, have any effect on the creature. And then, uh, you know, Escanor jumps in the way from what would presumably have been a lethal blow against uh, Guild Thunder. But it's still pretty bad blow on Escanor. You know, it punctures his shield. It, you know, it pierces his chest a little bit and uh, ripping him apart. And, you know, the Holy Knight's just like, I don't get it. How is he able to do this? He's even injured worse than us. And he's still standing. And Escanar explains, he's like, well, you guys, you've you've never been on the receiving end of the captain's full blows, and I I have, and it was it, it hurt so bad I thought I'd die. So, you know, it was in broad daylight at that point. I was in my pride form, and even then I was feeling that. So compared to that pain, this is nothing. This is like an insect bite. So I'm going to be your shield. Get away, no matter how you have to. Even if you have to crawl away, get away. And he keeps trying to defend himself. The spore does a whole bunch of flurry of attacks. It cuts off his hand at one point. And he's just being absolutely assaulted by this thing. And he's thinking, 
This is embarrassing. If the others saw me being so pathetic like this, I'm sure they'd laugh. And then he thinks of all of their faces, and he's like, wait, no, nobody would laugh at me. Those guys are so amazing and count me as one of their own, even though I have no merits and I'm so powerless. I'm the same, whether in daylight or my default at night. Everyone's really so strong and kind, and I've stood side by side with them and fought, and I'm proud of that. The proof of all the battles I've fought with them lives on in my heart. So even if only in spirit, I want to be with everyone to the very end. And we see that his arms have been cut off. He's basically just a bloody torso and head at this point. He can't even open his right eye. And he stands against the last attack of the Indula, which has basically just opened up its mouth to devour him whole. And he says, I'm the seven deadly sins... Lion's Sin of Pride, Escanor. At this point, I was actually thinking, like, is it actually going to eat him? <laughs> I was like, oh, shit. <laughs> I kind of thought that, too. But before it can chop down, it is evaporated, just completely eviscerated. Uh, and then we see that Mail has showed up and answered his prayer. And he destroyed the creature. And he's like, I, I heard your prayer. And I will gladly expend every effort I can if it means saving the people from the dangers that approach this land. But I cannot fight the Demon Lord. It's simply, I, I won't. It just won't work out. And Escalor's like, oh, no, you got it all wrong. I didn't call you down to fight somebody. I wanted to ask if I could have the power of sunshine back. And he's like, well, I mean, sure. Even if you get the power back, you know, you wouldn't be able to just fight the Demon Lord. But it's that your body, Escador, at this point is at its limit. You wouldn't be able to, like, carry the weight of the sunshine grace again if you did it it would only be once and then you would die and you know it's kind of this dramatic moment and he's like you know you'll only be throwing your life away and escador smiles and says i don't mind that and everyone's like what the fuck he's like well i won't be throwing my life away i'll be risking it for the sake of everybody else and they're risking their lives too so i want to be with them risking my life to fight for them and this is an extremely cool visual as we see like a full page spread of mail kind of holding his hand in front of this, uh, this giant, you know, this very scrawny, almost like malnourished Escanor. Mm. And they, they shake hands and we see him. We see mail say there's still time before noon. And Escanor smiles and says, you're right. And then the final page is you know a full page spread of the handshake from the other angle as we see Escanor's hand has gotten huge and is crunching it. So we see that you know the transfer of power has happened and Escanor is going to have one last run and is is his full high noon sunshine form. Mm-hmm. It is an extremely cool visual transition going from the handshake from the one perspective to the other after the exchange, and it is. It's it's cool in the way that only works in these sorts of series where Mail says, there's still time before noon. It's like, fuck, that's a cool line for this moment. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, this was a pretty gruesome chapter. I was really unsettled by just how fucked up Escanar was getting with his uh, just the moment where his hand pops off. And he's like, oh, my. And then it gets worse from there. Ugh. But uh it's really cool to see the, you know, just not lack of caring from him 
uh, just having absolutely no hesitation whatsoever. It's like, oh, I'll, I'll, I'll gladly, you know, kill myself if it means that I can help my friend save the world. So I like the way it's phrased, too, where he's like, oh, I don't care because they're all risking their lives to save each other anyway. So I'm going to do the same. So even if this is the one last shot I'm going to have at this and I'm probably going to die anyway, that's fine because everyone else is, is also risking their lives to, right. to do this as well. It's a very noble sentiment. Mm-hmm. All right, let's move on to The Promised Neverland, Chapter 140. I'm here. <laughs> so I wish Emma said that with that kind of enthusiasm when she gets there. She's like, what's up? I'm here. Hey, how you doing? Uh, we see a little bit of the gathering of demons for the summit uh, at the Imperial Capitol. Uh, it's there's it's weird because we see into the different demon territories uh, as people are starting to make their pilgrimages. Uh, and so, you know, most of it is just like, all right, let's set off. Some of them are, you know, walking down a hall. Some of them are getting into a wagon. But then we just see that there is this like hover train <laughs> with like wings on it. Demon train. It's three days until the Tafari at this point. So everyone is getting set to uh, move out. Uh, and uh, there's also uh, they, al- they also have uh, a meal for uh, being planned that should arrive soon. Uh, we also see some people approaching Lord Daza. OK. Um. And there's just a lot of conversation going on. There's an interesting bit because we see some of the lords talking amongst each other. And um, they talk about how much they hate Daza and how he's oppressive and vulgar and sickening and stuff. And uh, I think it's it's not. God, I forget what I forget what this guy's name is. I think it's the current Lord Bayon. Anyway. Something like that, yeah. Yeah. He says, like, you must only endure him during the Tefari. Once we return to our territories, we can say goodbye. But if I could be honest for a second, I preferred Gielan. Yeah, it is Bayon, yeah. And uh, one, of the other, one of the others is like, Lord Bayon, you, you, shouldn't, you shouldn't say those things. Uh, and Bayon says, even my young heart remembers how that one was beautiful and just. They truly thought about what was best for the citizens. To have that much intelligence fall into a wildling. I don't understand. How did that happen? And we see a behind shot of this Gielan. And is she supposed to be Mujica? Uh, which one? The blonde woman that is petting young Bayon's head. Um, maybe it's Mujica's mother? Hmm. There might be a because connection there. It's a, yeah, saying. it's a very young music. seems very small and young. So, mm-hmm. but when she called like a royal bloodline or special right. bloodline, so maybe she's super special. So, yeah. but yeah, apparently. So, so the, as far as they know, this Gielan that everyone thought so highly of somehow reverted into a wild creature. And we see a shot of this like swollen de- monster thing that's chained up in like a dungeon somewhere. So anyway, people gathering for the Tafari. That's what's going on. We cut over to Emma and Ray, who are in the weird, empty room with the black hole and a cube thing. And Ray's trying to figure out what the hell it is as he stares at it. 
He's like, what the hell is it? I mean, if it's a black hole being near, he's like mumbling to himself the same as he did in the last chapter we saw them in. And it was just like, Ray, shut up. It's fine. It's fine. It's like, no, I'm going to find out what it is. I know what it is. I'm just, you know, shut up. Uh, so Ray tries to you know, say to himself, like, all right, I've just got to, you know, stop thinking so much. And I've got to stop suspecting or fearing it. Just move forward and believe. And they reach out together while holding hands and Emma thinks to herself, hold on, Norman, everyone, I'll. And then Ray is on the ground back at Norman's base. And he's like, what the fuck? What, what happened? Where, where is, where, what is it? What, what's the day? What, am I back here? What's happening? Where's Emma? <laughs> what? I was special. I was supposed to be special. No! <laughs> Is this what all the happy Bimmy memories gives you in the end? <laughs> so Emma shows up in this wide open space with the reflective pool that she first saw in before. And uh, she realizes that she has arrived. The dragon thing that she saw before shows up. And it lowers itself down and it transforms into a large humanoid demon and then an adult looking demon and then a child looking demon and then the childlike demon that she saw uh, when it first introduced itself to her. And Ola says, we finally meet. And it says like, yeah, here there is nothing, but you can find anything. I knew you had the ability to come here. Emma asks about Ray and he says, don't worry, he returned to your family. He couldn't come here, although he came close. He was still stuck within his own walls. He understood it with his head, but he couldn't go beyond it yet. Although he's the world and the world is him, even though the truth is that this world has no walls, it's actually more difficult than you think to release yourself and the world. I can do it if I wanted to. Yeah. Don't you tell me what I can and can't do. I don't, have, I don't need your approval. It's not like I wanted to go to your dumb place beyond or whatever. <laughs> I don't want to be there. It sounds stupid. It has like water space seas. That's dumb. I could be over here with um, Anna. She's super fun and interesting. That's Isn't that not right? My... Isn't that right, Anna? That's not my name. Shut, Shut up, up, Anna. <laughs> Your name is Anna now. And where's uh, Craig? You mean Chris? No, I mean Craig. I'm not fucking wrong. I'm special. I'm right. <laughs> anyway. Aurora asks why Emma has come. And she thinks over all they've been through together. Having to leave Phil and the others behind. Uh, being wished luck by Don and Gilda. Uh, getting the reassurance from Ray. Norman being an evil douchebag, and uh, she thinks to herself, the future I want, I want to free the children of the farms. I don't want to kill the demons. I won't let Norman go alone. And she says, I came to make a new promise. And that is the end of the chapter. Um, it's very much just like, you know, building up to something, it feels like, more than it just being a good chapter in its own right. It's not a bad chapter, but it's much more setting the stage for the thing we've been want, waiting to happen. So, I mean, I do like thinking about the perspective of like, oh, well, Ray's stuck within his own walls and that's why he can't be here versus how Emma's 
got like less hanging her up. So that's why she's here. Like, I do think there's some interesting character stuff to pull out of here. I think the art's really well done, especially in like that full page of watching, you know, a special demon go from being like a, you know, the big tall, it's slowly like shrinking until it's like a kid boo kind of size and everything like that. Uh, visually some really cool stuff. I think my big thing is that like all the actual demon stuff, the only thing I really pulled away from it is like, oh, the Tafari's three days away, and that's when Norman's going to enact his whole, like, mm-hmm. super murder coup. So it's like a time span to be like, oh, we have three days for that. But there's, like, this inner politics stuff, which is interesting because it does show you the demons have, like, layers to them, that there's this whole inner politics in there. And it's just not particularly, like, something I feel like I ain't invested in at this point. So. I get that. I, I, I like the chapter by and large. It's just... The end, I think, is significantly more interesting than the latter, and the than the end, mm. or sorry, the end is more interesting than the beginning, rather. I got you. All right, all right. Let's take move us through on. Black Clover. Black Clover, page two ten, on the brink. So the devil has a bunch of mouths, and they're all insulting everybody, talking about how they're fuck all going you, to die. Yep, he's got a thousand comments, and all of them, he couldn't kiss his mother with any of those mouths. <laughs> They're very rude. Uh, and everyone, Asta and you know are trying to fight back, but it's 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 not going particularly well. They think, though, if they could just score a single hit with his heart, uh, with Asta's sword to his heart, they'd win. It's very, very difficult. And Asta's like, ah, I'm even getting to my limit. So we see, like, a montage of other characters inside the, uh, the Sephiroth uh, with Jack the Ripper and Mero de Leona and Fuego Leon, and his comments about how things are getting pretty tough for them because all the leeches are now starting to pour into the areas they were in. Uh, but we see that uh, Leashed and Lumiere are basically combining their magic because that's part of what Leashed Sword does. It stores up energy, and it connects those to have ties with the blade, so it's you know a blade that connects people. And they're going to use their magic to protect everybody. So we see that magic kind of spread throughout basically protecting people from these waves of leeches and, and monsters that are trying to attack them. And uh, we see a brief shot of Rhea uh, talking about how it must be very nice because he get, you know, leashed and, you know, the prince, they get to meet again. And uh, he knows this because he can see via his connection with leashed. It's sort of nebulous, but I guess it works. <laughs> um, then there's a moment where Patrick's like, all right, well, I'll defend you guys so that you guys can keep doing what you want. I'm not going to doubt your bond anymore. Uh, you know, a lot of trust in each other. It's the big thing of all of this. And um, I mean, honestly, that's kind of the whole chapter. We basically get to the end where uh, Elf, Charlotte, and Yami are riding on a rock through a wave of leashes, uh, leeches. And he's like, I just got to get ready because I'm about to make my big swing and she's going to help him with it. And she's like, well, just don't make your swing miss. So we get the idea that Yami's going to make his big swing that he commented earlier would be pretty, uh, pretty significant. And then the other two characters will talk about how they both want to be the Wizard King and they'll help kill this guy, I think. I think we've reached the point now where it's like, if you're just not into this, then this chapter's doesn't mean much to you because it's the big climactic final clash thing. It's like, all right, fine. You know, uh, if you are into it, I'm sure that you're, you know, waiting with bated breath for the next chapter, but this isn't the thing that's going to get you with this to going to change your mind. Mm-hmm. 
I do like the shot of uh, Asta and Yuno uh, going with their swords towards the devil with all of the weird, monstrous mouths in between them while all of them chant, it's over. It's a cool shot. But that's about all I have to say. Mm. Yeah, I, I, it's nothing against the chapter. It's just one of those things where if you don't have a real interest in it, it's hard to get super invested. Mm. I'm not saying it's anything bad. It's just, just a series that at this point, I, it should be fairly clear. I don't have a ton of, you know, interest in. So I'm able to be like, that seems really interesting, but I don't really care for the characters that are directly involved in this current conflict. So, yes. So uh, move on from there to One Piece, chapter 947, Queen's Gamble. So uh, last time, Luffy instinctively ripped off the collar that was going to blow up himself and Hyogoro. And was able to properly use hockey uh, in order to do so in that moment of danger. So Hyogoro is using this as a chance to train Luffy to do it consciously as Big Mom bears down on them while she goes on her rage because they ate all of the Yoshiruko. And uh, we flash back at the beginning of this chapter to when uh, Raleigh did the same thing when saving uh, Kami from the collar thing. Just the exact same thing that Luffy did. Uh, back during whatever the hell that arc was. The one where the um, Celestials were heavily involved. Shabbody Archipelago. Okay. Holy shit, I can't remember. I remember that. So Luffy is actually experiencing this flashback, and he's like, oh, that's what I did. I mean, I don't know how I did it, but that's that's what I did, right. But Hyogro is, is certain, like, ah, you know, you, that's beyond any application of Ryuo that I can teach you. So you must be able to stop her. You must deflect that monstrously powerful fist and save both our lives. And Luffy is standing between Big Mom and Hyogoro and all of the guards who are, you know, too afraid to do anything to stop Big Mom are like, how's he going to do it? There's no way he can do it. It's impossible. And Luffy's like, okay, rather than just clenching up, I'll let the hockey flow. And Hyogoro's like, he can do it. It was like, into my hands, come! And Big Mom punches him and they go flying into a wall. Yep. There they go. All right. <laughs> They're just embedded in the wall now, like with their legs sticking out all cartoonish. They're dead, and Big Mom and Kaido finish off the rest of the Straw Hats, and that's the end of One Piece, everybody. Yeah, Turn, turns out the true treasure was the death we met along the way. One piece of disappointment. Mm-hmm. Yeah. One piece actually refers to the enormous shit that <laughs> Oda just took in all of our mouths collectively. I've been waiting 22 years, have you? Ah, nice. Too bad. It's nice to get that out of me. Stay tuned for my next series. I'm sure this one will have a satisfying ending. <laughs> Stay tuned for my next series, Viking 7. <laughs> my next, don't worry, it'll only run for 20 years. I'm like, I think you're already like 49, aren't you? You're already pretty old for starting another 20-year-long series. Hiro Oda just uh, lives forever, uh, trolling people by building stuff up for 20 years and then not resolving it and just starting something else. <laughs> he sells so many manga, we can't stop him. <laughs> of course, they're fine. Yogoro's got a big lump on his head, but that's about it. Uh, so Luffy gets himself out and pulls Yogoro out of the wall, and uh, he's like, oh, you didn't guard with Ryuo, though. But listen, all that I can teach you are with Ryuo, or what you call hockey, is that which covers the outside. You can use it for defense, 
like invisible armor. It can be converted to offensive use to great effect. But when you go one level beyond that, the hockey you wield can penetrate the enemy's interior and destroy them from the inside, making it much more powerful. Those steel colors were destroyed from the inside by your hockey. You can already do it. You already know how to infuse yourself with outward hockey, but you do it unconsciously. Bet. He just slumps over unconscious. Anyway, Big Mom's still upset. Um, and he attacks them. And Hero Girl wakes up, I guess, because he's just like, <laughs> Good luck, Straw Hatch! <laughs> we cut over to Udon, the prison ironworks. And uh, people are still recovering from the transponder snails not working. Uh, and we see a figure uh, reacting to the news. We don't see what they look like fully yet. Just like a shot of them from behind. And then when we get a close up shot of them, their face is kind of partially covered in shadow. But uh, his only line is, ah, so. He's probably going to be the fucking answer to everything. It's Thank like, you for oh, that shot. Man. Oh, man. That's Dr. so much insight and foreshadowing going on. It's, that's fucking, there's a guy, Chris. There's a guy. That's fucking Dr. Vegapunk, isn't it? <laughs> he's just sitting here in prison for some reason. Oh, that's what he's been up to. Just like standing here this whole time. Anyway, after that uh, very informative diversion, we cut back to where Big Mom is, you know, doing stuff. Uh, she's smashed the gate to the ironworks, I guess. Um, Queen gets up from having been uh, knocked unconscious by Big Mom. And he's like, I'm not going to let her get away with this. Listen, I have a plan. We'll only get one chance. Big Mom is like a wild boar. She's going to charge straight through Udon and make her way back around to us. And uh, sure enough, uh, Big Mom smashes her way through the ironworks with people getting out of the way while she's chasing after Luffy, who is running. Uh, And... uh, we, when they get back outside, Queen is back in his Brachiosaur form. And uh, when he sees her coming, he's perched on, high up on a ledge, dives down towards her. And there is another vat of Oshiruko. And she's like, oh, it's Oshiruko. And opens it up and it's empty. <laughs> Fool me once, shame on you. But she looks up just in time to see Queen coming charging down through the sky at her. And he headbutts her in his full Brachiosaur form, calling it Brachiobomber. And everyone's like, yeah, Queen, yes, save Ravano, yeah! And Big Mom's memories come back. (laughs) (laughs) And she's like, what the fuck happened? Oh, right, I fell into the sea. Where is everyone? Wait, wait, Wait a minute. I got separated from everyone. Went to some dingy little village. I remember everything now. Wait a minute, you're Queen from Kaido's crew. And Queen is like, oh, no, 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 no. I love the reaction that he has because it's nope, 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 nope. And um, she's like, everyone's like, why is she, why is she fine? What? She's completely unharmed. And then Big Mom falls over unconscious. So Queen immediately shouts at everyone to get 100% pure sea prism stone cuffs and chains, wrap them around her 100 times, give her 100 wild animal sedatives, <laughs> load her onto a ship, and get her away from the prison, put her in a double maximum security protocol. So not taking her lightly at all. I do like that they're like, 
tie her up in C-Chain. Fuck it. Just pump her full of everything we have. Just every animal trank. A thousand pounds of horse tranquilizer. Just shove it in her. He Do shouts not let her t- wake up. He's just like, put look, put all the prisoners in cells. Get this place in order. Just minimum uh, number of jailers are left behind. We are escorting this dangerous fucking woman out of here and locking her up under the tightest security we can muster. Babadooki, you're in charge of Udon. And Babadooki's like, all right, but I'm worried about... Just go! Go! Get her on the ship! Go into Okunigashima! Get out of here! And they immediately set sail. It takes them, like, two pages to go from Big Mom is unconscious to Big Mom is in chains, tied up, loaded onto the ship, and sailing away. That is how quickly they move. The gates to the prison start to close... Otama and Momonosuke are still outside, and Otama's like, hey, Momo, the gate's closing. And then Momonosuke's like, ah, yes. It's such a shame that we agreed to wait out here. Let's go! Just they go inside. <laughs> I do really like Otama uh, after her interactions with uh, Momonosuke. Just the pure contrast between them with him being really timid and her just being like, come on, let's go! And they're like, um, what was his name? What was oh, fuck? I forget it. I forget his name, but like Goslin and her friend from Darkwing Duck, where he was just you know, oh, um, Buster, something God, like that. Hold on, Darkwing Duck nerdy kid. I <laughs> <laughs> uh, oh, fuck. Is it not coming up? Hold on, characters Goslin. Was he not part of the main fucking cast? Oh, yeah, I click on like the full fucking. <laughs> Holy shit. This is ridiculous. Honker. That's it. Honker. Hon- right. This is absurd. Hold on, Nick. I have to address this. I go to the Darkwing Duck Wikipedia. Wikipedia page. They show me the list of Darkwing Duck characters. They didn't mention Honker in the initial thing, but they did want to make sure I know who Taurus Bulba was. Fuck off. Tim Curry. I don't care if he was voiced by Jesus fucking Christ that could juggle dicks with his mouth. Alright? I just want to know the main characters of the series, and Honker was a main character. Not not Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ who can juggle cocks with his juggle cocks with his mouth. I don't care, man. It's a different Jesus. I go to a Wikipedia to be informed. Anyway. Otama's like Goslin and Momonosuke is like Honker is my point. <laughs> You're not wrong. Thanks for backing me up on that, Chris. But yeah, that was the point. I agree with you wholeheartedly, Nick. I just, when I see injustice, I have to speak out against it. Uh, Babanuki is trying to, you know, do a check of this horribly ruined prison. Uh, the snails are still not working. Uh, so they have no way of alerting anyone if anything else goes down, which means that Luffy is like, oh, good. I can just fight all of you now because, <laughs> yeah, his collar's off and uh, his he's they've got no backup coming, apparently. And Babanuki's like, oh, right. He's free. <laughs> <laughs> and Luffy closes out the chapter by saying, I've always been free. And now this place is mine. Pops his knuckles. So things are looking up for Straw Hat Luffy now. And uh Chaos has just unfolded. Um, so now we know why why Big Mom was was uh, uh, where she was at that time. So that this whole thing could start to shake things up. Mm-hmm. It's a fun enough chapter. 
I do like the moment of reaction, just the reactions that Queen specifically has at different key moments, uh, acting like a badass and then panicking as soon as his super killer blow does nothing to Big Bomb. And then when she glasses me, being like, we are taking her out of here. Let's go. And uh, so fun chapter. Yeah, I think it's a very fun chapter. I like it does make sense too with all the chaos how things kind of go this way when it's like how to destroy it's get out of this without undermining like all the security and precautions and like the fact that one of the two strongest member of kaido's crew was there to watch things over without having to make it an enormous city it's like oh no like that big mom subplot kind of actually did suffice into covering that while like she was just led into there and is a complete chaotic wreck and they're like yeah of course that's that's where we're like gotta fucking get this get her out of here now because she's way more dangerous than anything else so it makes sense that this is where this is how luffy and the crew make their escape without making anybody else look stupid in the process mm-hmm. all right let's close things out with world trigger chapter 181 takuma yuba world trigger takuma yuba is um young sir nighty Basically. I mean, look at him. Mm -hmm. He was adjusting the glasses. He's super serious about a bunch of stuff, but he has a weird, wacky undercurrent. Yeah. So I'm just going to think of him as Renata, basically. That's why he died, Chris, so he could show up in World Trigger later. Oh, yeah. When you say it. Yeah. It's amazing how, you know, uh, how Osamu's still pulling double duty now that his main series is back. He's just been tutoring these girls, but he's uh, also fighting uh, neighbors. Yeah, he's got to do both. Yeah. His harem is going to expand across multiple dimensions at this rate. So, so wait, and, hold on. Just to check. Are we on 180? Is there one? There, there were two chapters. Fucker. God damn it, I haven't read that one now. There are two chapters. All right, well, here. Fuck! I, I can very quickly kind of explain chapter 180 real quick for you. Just make the chapters double length if you're going to do two in one month. Well, I think it's because he missed one last week or last month, so we wanted to put two out for it. Regardless, they go to meet Satomi, who is part of uh, Kusukabe squad. I don't even know which one that is. <laughs> anyway, he's a very good gunner. He's one of, it's one of the A-rank gunners. And uh, they go to him to talk about a couple things, specifically to talk about uh, what's Yuba. And he's like, oh, so what is he like? Is he really good? He's like, well, simply put, he's the absolute strongest one-on-one. And uh, you're like, oh, that's kind of interesting. He's like, yeah, so here's the thing. If you go one-on-one with him, like, he's really, really good. So, like, a lot of the other attackers who are known for, like, their one-on-one stuff, they don't do solo matches because they're high-ranked and they rarely ever lose. But unlike him, Yuba earned his talk right by stacking up tens of thousands of wins against the toughest people out there. So that's kind of, he's more, I guess, hardened by battle kind of guy. And uh, there's a whole discussion about some other little details. But basically, he's talking about why Yuba is really good. And they leave. They're like, oh, hey, we have this meeting we have to get to with Yuba. So we're going to get out of here. But Osambu stays behind. To be like, so tell me more about Ninomiya, because I've heard that you're kind of like a zealot for him. And he's like, so what is Ninomiya's greatest strength? He's like, well, he's the absolute strongest one-on-one. He's like, that's exactly what you said about Yuba. (laughs) And he's like, well, the thing is, uh, you know, Ninomiya's really, really good. Because he has a way, basically, when he makes his Trion cube, he can split it into two. So he can create a bunch of really small ones 
and then a bunch of really big ones. So no matter what you do, if you make a big shield, he'll you know he'll lure you in with small ones and then blast you with the big ones, or he'll fire big you know big shots and make you create a dense shield that's smaller and then hit you with a barrage of the smaller ones. So you know it's it's simply his sheer size and, and capability with his tryon that makes him so hard. You Uegas or not Uega? Fuck! <laughs> I thought it is. He was Uega. Misamu's <laughs> just like, oh well. Should you be actually telling me this? Like his major weakness? He's like, oh no, it's open secret because you can't do anything to stop it. <laughs> he's like, just knowing doesn't stop the fact that he's going to just trounce you, you know. And honestly, if you want to beat him, just avoid him. Avoid everything you can to get into a one-on-one match with Ninomiya because. That's the best way to do it. You're never going to survive. We see like flashbacks kind of showing that that's the point where like the best thing you can hope for is to take him down with you or to just accomplish your job before he kills you. Kind of like what happened with uh, Zoe last time where he just was like launching grenades into the area before Ninomiya came up and killed him. And he's like, yeah, it's just kind of how it is. He's really, really strong. But I think your new guy, Husei, he might be able to put on a good match with him. So I'm kind of looking forward to that. And uh, finally, Osamu just asked, like, oh, you said Yuba and Ninomiya are both the strongest guy out there. So which guy would win in a fight? And he's like, well, it depends. You know, which one has more prep time? You know, where are they fighting? You know, that sort of thing. Uh, <laughs> actually, he does basically say, he's like, well, if it was normal fight, Ninomiya for sure. But if it was any sort of complicated area, I think Yuba would win. Because the big advantage just using guns is that you don't have to, like, build up your tri cube or anything like that you just point and fire and the sheer speed at which yuba could do this would probably give him an edge in that kind of area so they basically explains that's why he is a gunner himself is because he's like oh yeah when i tried making like cubes they'd go off in all wild directions anytime i uh anytime i panic so i, I went with the gunner style because it fits better and like they, you know, they head off. He's like, "Oh, thanks for the time. Don't worry about it." And then uh, Jin meets Osamu. And is like, "Hey, cool. You're really lucky, you know." He's like, "Why is that?" He's like, "Oh, because that guy's the number one gunner in all of Border. You just talked to. <laughs> he doesn't know it. He doesn't seem to have any cognitive like knowledge of his own rank. But that guy's the best gunner in the entire organization." That's really it. Then, then we meet the guy who's Sir Nardai. Then we see Takuma Yuba. Yep. Yuba Squad Captain B rank number seven. So Yuma has gone to meet with him, and uh, he introduces himself as well. And then he calls over Obishima, a younger member of his squad. And Obishima kind of hesitantly says uh, hello, and Yuma's like hiya, and he was like introduce yourself properly. And Obishima gives a more proper introduction, shouting out, I'm Obishima, an all-rounder in Yuba Squad. I admire you, Kuka, for your razor sharp judgment, your apt adaptability, your creativity, your overall strength of balance, and absolute honor to meet you. And Yuba, and Yuba goes, Boy? Cool. <laughs> what? Uh, Yuba kind of makes an excuse, saying, This one always gets chills watching your matches, so I hope you do get along. And he was like, All right, good to meet you, man. And he was like, Kuga. How dare you? <laughs> I have to whisper to him. Obi's a girl. And we, we cut away briefly and then come back and Yuma's on the ground bowing and apologizing. I'm so sorry. <laughs> Yuma, does, Yuma feels such shame for misgendering. 
Mm. Obishima says, that's eh, all right. People make that mistake a lot because, you know, slender build, short hair and stuff. Um, they kind of like scold Yuma because his apology is so like over the top. It seems sarcastic. But Yuma is just like, no, no, no. The last time I mistook a lady for a man, I really paid for it for a long time. And we cut back to all of its uh, to his time in the neighborhood with this girl kind of bullying him almost. Um, anyway. So you was like, hey, well, since you're apologizing here, how about you give Obishima some training? So they have some sparring together. Obishima trying to use a sword to try and attack Yuma, who is just like doing cartwheels while duck facing. He does a lot of duck facing in the in the early parts of this chapter to show that things aren't very serious at this point. Mm-hmm. But eventually, well, he just also like, makes it look like he's getting like slapped around too. Like, oh no, he's, oh he's, no, yeah, he's, he's oh, not getting, oh like, you almost got yeah, me. Whoop! Yeah, he's not getting killed, but every time he's like, like even in that shot, he's like laying the ground, like oh, it's like oh. fuck off. <laughs> Clearly, you're not. He was just like, it. come on. <laughs> I know you're stronger than that. Take this seriously. And he was like, I'll do it if you face me, Yuba. And he was like, No, you take me for an idiot who'd reveal moves to his upcoming opponent. And he was like. Well, I mean, I'd be doing the same thing. <laughs> well, you still owe Obi-Mashima. So, uh, the compromise they kind of come to is he was like, all right, I'll show you a little bit of a new move then. And he, in their next spar, he basically throws this, eh, it's like a shuriken that would be a Naruto, basically, this weird, large, three-pronged thing. And then uh, starts to approach Obishima, and Obishima's like, all right, here he comes. And she gets punctured from behind by the projectile that he threw as part of it extends out through her torso and destroys her Trion system. And uh, Yuba pretty pretty instantly analyzes what Yuma did, uh, realizing that he cast a scorpion through the ground, linked it up with the projectile, and this allowed him to transform it and pierce her from behind like this. And Yuma explains, yeah, it's a variation on uh, Kage, on Kageyura's mantis. So, Obishima is, of course, is, is of course impressed by this. And Yuma's like, all right, come on, I showed you a new move, so we're done here, aren't we? And Yuma's like, hold on. I told you to pay up, but you overpaid, Kuga. So here's your change. A match <laughs> against me. <laughs> what a fucking nerd. He looks so cool he in his is. final chapter, but what a lame fucking... You overpaid your bill, so it's time for some change. I'm going to shoot you a lot. <laughs> <laughs> he, like, casts his jacket back to reveal his his, his fucking Wild West yeah, bandolier. He's, he's like a fucking cowboy, man. <laughs> This, if World Trigger's anime gets revived and we ever get to this, if there is not a sting, <laughs> wasted opportunity. <laughs> they should have fought in a Wild West town. I don't. I know they wouldn't do that because they fight in realistic areas, but it should just have like a big saloon and like a fucking All horse the buildings are in one alley. Yeah. <laughs> so they start. So the fight starts. The fight ends. <laughs> Zuba's basically like draw and shoot some full of holes immediately. I do like it. It's super cool. So Yuba gets really serious after, of course, he does the whole flips the guns back into his holsters while he talks and says, too bad for you. We've got this final match. He says, maintain our top rank depends on it. And that's all you're going to see today. <laughs> 
Well, all right there, pilgrim. Looks like looks like I put enough holes in you for one day. Now giddy on up. That's what happens when you misgender a lady like that. <laughs> Noted social justice warrior John Wayne. <laughs> he was always known for it. Ignore the movie that he's in where he basically just Which one? <laughs> where he, uh fuck, what is it? He plays James uh, Connor. God whatever. damn it, no. Oh, fuck. All I remember is it has the one line for him. He's like, fill your hands, you son of a bitch. And then just goes into a big shootout. Anyway, he spends the movie slapping a woman for like 90% of it. <laughs> oh, fuck. It's going to bother me that I can't remember its name. Oh, well. Anyway. It's like I could just go into IMDB type John uh, fucking Wayne Western and get a yeah, result. Which one? <laughs> Not get 98 results. So that's it for their practice matches. Uh, they thank each other for the opportunity. True grit, by the way. That was it. I found it immediately. It was the first one. <laughs> All right. Uh, Yuma promises to get revenge on Yuba. And as they walk off, Yuba says to Obishima, not a guy you want to find yourself up against for real. And Yuma says, I'm looking forward to the next match. And that's it. So it's more of what World Trigger usually does, although a little bit more hands-on than it tends to be in these kind of moments. Uh, in the case of Yuma, who got some first-hand experience uh, with their upcoming opponents. But they are scouting, they are learning, and so we will know a little bit of what to expect when their final rank wars battle actually occurs. So, mm-hmm. I like Yuba. I think he's a super cool character, so I'm pretty excited for it. Yeah. I also appreciate that we that he has a, despite having black hair like so many World Trigger characters do, he also has a distinct design to him. Yeah. He's not going to mistake him for anyone else, basically. Yeah, the character from the last chapter, Serotobi or whatever his name is, I'm already feeling like I'm going to mix him up with uh, the Hughes guy within the council because they, they have a very similar kind of aesthetic to them. So, mm-hmm. God forbid either characters in street clothes. I'm going to be like, oh, God, which one <laughs> is it? All right. That's it. That's it for Weekly Manga Recap, so we are going to close things up by naming our favorites. Favorite series and MVP. Yes, so uh, my favorite chapter this week, I, I, I feel like there can't even honestly be, you know, like an answer to it. Uh, it's going it's to be, uh, it's going to be We Never Learned. If a chapter makes me tear up like that, gets that much of an emotional response, it's, it's going to be the chapter of the week. I agree for exactly the same reason. Uh, my MVP, though, I, I'm debating it's either Escanor right now, but Honestly, I'm probably going to go with Yuba just because I, I ended up really liking him by the end of that chapter. And I think, I don't know, like the, the Wild West gunman aesthetic, such a cool one for the series that I, I do dig it. I am going to go with Escanor. That was the other series that I read this time that got the biggest reaction out of me. Uh, this In this case of just shock and horror. Um, so, and it was all about him. So I'm going to do that. And uh, the audience... Loved We Never Learn at one chapter of the week, and then Ogata got character of the week as well. So, totally understand. A lot of love for that chapter. Chapter was all about her. So, mm-hmm. all right. That's going to do it, everyone. Thank you for joining us for Weekly Manga Recap. We tend to record the show here on twitch.tv slash and smashcast.tv slash sometime between 7.30 and 8 Eastern uh, on Wednesdays, Wednesday nights. That's, that is when we do the show. Yes. That is the thing. So I've heard. Yes. Uh, rumor has it. 
If you want to listen to our past episodes, you can check us out in many different places. Weeklymongerecap.poppy.com on iTunes and on YouTube. Uh, subscribe, like, rate, comment, all that good stuff. Help us out in the algorithm. Beat the woodworkers, assuming we're still in the hobby section. I don't know if we're still in the hobby section. Are we still in the hobby section, Chris? Uh, yeah. yeah, that's probably yeah. going to happen for a long time until someone like, uh, while I'm at the computer, is like, you should change that right now. And I'm like, I should. Because right. otherwise it's like, I'll change that tomorrow and I'm definitely going to remember. <laughs> Follow us on Twitter at WMR Podcast, at Rolo T, at Nick F Time, and send us feedback. Ask us questions for our QA episodes uh, via email. We can monkey happy out to And on our Discord server. If you go on the Discord server, you can also check out the many different ways to send us freaking suggestions for manga for us to read. Check out the spreadsheet that NinjaX3i has created. There are also votes that you can do to decide the year end awards that uh, NinjaX3i puts up in the chats and stuff. Special thanks to everyone who gives us all the support that helps us to create the show what it is. Whether you're a Patreon supporter or you are an artist or an animator, all the people who help us out. Steve Mann, Infamous Planet, Winsleydale Cheddar, Milo Stillitz, the last two made the opening sequence for us. You can check them out on soundcloud.com slash Milo dash Jack dash Stillitz and on youtube.com slash Winsleydale Cheddar. Uh-huh. Nick, you want to see some uh, some goofs? From True Grit? Some no. goofs? No. Alright, so when Maddie is emerging from her sleeping area no. when they are close to Nucky Ted Pepper's no. head out, it's evident she's wearing some form of black nylon tights. Not something you would see in the 1870s. Movie goof. You know? Someone should get a bell and ring it and then count these and then make an entire video series on YouTube that uh, degenerates the entire genre of uh, movie criticism. We need to make the criticism as long as possible, not because there is a lot to talk about, but because that means that we get more ad revenue. And you should hide behind the idea that it's all a joke and it's intentionally being nitpicky, while at the same time vehemently defending how nitpicky you get about movies uh, because uh, the movie industry is falling apart. We're the only thing that's going to save it. Hmm. This is the only criticism of Cinema Sins that has ever been made, by the way. Oh, Cinema Sins? No, I'll start you with Binging with Babish, Nick. We got to bring that channel down. <laughs> <laughs> that channel is very different from the impressions I've gotten. <laughs> I was talking about Jack Black's channel. He's a fucking monster. Someone has to stop this, man. <laughs> Goodbye, everybody. <laughs>